Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Oh, hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome to the China Shop. We are rip-roaring exciting today. Excited today. I, I talk all the good words, Kyle. You do it well. I'm Shopkeeper Dan. With me, as always, is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I am excited and nervous about today's guest. I don't know if we're about to get served on air or if we're going to have a really, really fun conversation. <laughs> oh, ser- served like, uh, like he's going to make us look foolish? Because we do a good job of that ourselves. Uh, I, I think we found somebody that does uh, what we've been doing better. <laughs> oh, shit. It's true. Uh, we are yeah. so excited. Uh, let us welcome Joe Saul Sihai. Joe, how are you doing today? Well, I'm just here with the papers. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. You guys could, uh, could uh, back up 50 yards 50. from my microphone. That'd be great. <laughs> I've heard I've heard if you get served on air on a podcast, it's the same as being served in person. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, yes. It depends on what state you're in. Yes. Oh, okay. In a state of shock. I did a bad job uh, introducing <laughs> you. Yeah. Stacking Benjamin's podcast and author. That is our podcast. Yes. Also author of a book that just came out, uh, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. And I understand you guys just finished a 40 city tour. It should have been four cities. I read the contract wrong. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. That is, that is not true. Uh, I was very happy to go to 40 cities until I got to about city 23. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Um, so lesson, don't go to 40 cities. It, it was super fun. Uh, you know what? Meeting your community, meeting the people that, you know, it, it's always, it's always super. Cause as you guys know, in the China shop here that you've got the two of you and sometimes a guest, and that's pretty much it. It's a much more solitary activity than people think it is. Mm-hmm. And when you go out and find out there's actually people on the other side that listen to your stuff, it's pretty, <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. But I wanted to make sure people know what heck we're talking about because stacking benjamins is known for financial ineptitude and you guys <laughs> when i hear your show for the first time i'm like what the hell somebody <laughs> infringing on our territory we're, we're really good at being bad at money <laughs> and we have no shame that helps too yes that is good but yeah so you guys have been doing this for 10 years now i think you said uh we we're chatting earlier we have. We're going on episode. Uh, we just this morning recorded episode one thousand two hundred and thirty-six oh, awesome. of the Stacky Benjamin Show, and we had. So you know, we didn't know what we were doing at first. <laughs> People will tell you we still don't know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but we we but we knew that we should get started. And by the way, the thing I regret, and I think this is true, whether it's you know opening up your first Roth IRA or or buying that stock or whatever it might be, like the thing that I regret is that we didn't start sooner, mm-hmm. that we didn't get, get going. But because I, I'd listened to podcasts since almost the beginning, guys, but I, I thought that it was going to be really technical and hard to get it from these microphones up to people's devices, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I get on Apple or on, you know, Spotify wasn't around them, but how do I get on all these different players so that people hear me? And that just seemed like, complexity. And whenever I hear complexity, I procrastinate. Yeah. And I procrastinated for a year and then I found out you push like one button <laughs> and it automatically yeah. <laughs> goes to all these places and it was so frustrating. But anyway, we knew that that show was going to die. So our website at the time was called the the Free Financial Advisor. So we called the podcast as our first name, The Worst of the Free Financial Advisor. Mm-hmm. And it had 13 episodes prearranged because it was going to be like preseason baseball. And we made it on lucky number because we knew the baby was going to die even before it was born. That's a horrible <laughs> Yeah, that's dark. (laughs) Yes. We 
<laughs> we just knew the podcast was not going to make it. So then we changed to, you know, you get to about episode five or six and you realize all the things that you're doing mm-hmm. wrong. And then we started to hit our stride. So we made what we thought was the real show, which was called Two Guys in Your Money, which sounded suspiciously like two men in a truck. We didn't think that at the time. We thought it was clever. Or two girls in a cup. didn't even think about that one yeah so you know get all that tiktok marketing but we uh yeah we we dove into that and while 13 was funny on purpose that show died after 69 episodes which was unintentionally funny but we um you know we realized we wanted a show that was diverse and fun and two guys in a truck was was you know not diverse or fun and so we we uh, found Stacking Benjamins, which I think is much more uh, indicative of what we do. We call it the greatest money show on earth because it's a complete circus. I, I'm disappointed I hadn't found this one sooner because uh, I was really enjoying listening to the uh, the episode that came out on the 8th, I think it was. Uh, the, the inflation sandwich measurement. I love that. That's, that's such a great segment. How I, I can't believe. So, Len Penzo has been a contributor of ours from the beginning. And, and the fact that he looks at inflation this boring ass topic in the most fun way mm-hmm. about what's the price of a sandwich. And he takes 10 different sandwiches and breaks down all the ingredients and just goes for the cheapest every year and then compares them. And of course, this year, the price of a sandwich went up at a faster rate than everything else. And you know, you hear these things like consumer price index and the average person goes, what, what does that mean? I'll tell you what means something to me when I go to the gas pump and it's a bajillion more dollars than it was a few days ago. Right. Like that's real inflation. I go to the grocery store. So Len every year does this survey and includes us in on it, and it's one of the most fun interviews we do. Inflation is such a such a tough one too because it doesn't show up on everything, and it it's just enough to where you don't really notice it until you look back, like on a year. It's funny you say that because we were talking to somebody at I think oh at. TransUnion maybe, and they do a study of what people worry about uh, every year. Mm-hmm. And um, inflation was not even on their list two years ago. It, it didn't even make the list. Hmm. And this year it was number one. So this thing that, to your point, nobody thinks about, and all of a sudden it's the number one thing on everybody's mind, uh, shows kind of where we're at. And the fact that, you know, the, the whole government thing about inflation that money nerds have known for a long time, that the government does not tell the truth about inflation, <laughs> that, the, that the number is, is, is not nearly what inflation really is. Mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that average people are now talking about that. Like that we, uh, you know, inflation really is what it means to you. And so if you track your money, if you at the very least track your expenses, you can see how much inflation is really hitting you. But there's actually something bigger. I mean, not to get all serious, but but this year, if you don't get a raise Mm -hmm. that's 9% or higher, you're losing ground. Mm -hmm. Like that's something I don't hear enough. Like you got to go to your boss and you got to figure out a way to get a 9% raise and not not make it be all about you. You got to find a way to somehow either add more value, convince your boss in a way that, you know, helps the company to get yourself more money. Oh, those conversations are always fun. I, I've been real big on every time we talk about inflation, mentioning how the price of everything but labor goes up. Yeah. Automatically. <laughs> right, right. I mean, just look right, at how yeah. much uh, the cost to buy a share of Google now. <laughs> no, <I'm> just <laughs> Two years ago, man, that stuff was cheap. Yeah. Uh, uh, the good news is, is Bitcoin's on sale. Yes. So, <laughs> oh god, do you guys do a lot of crypto on your on your show too? Y- you know what's funny? So it, it's it's when you've had a show that's been around as long as ours. Uh, we went through the national progression on crypto. First of all, we're like these whack jobs, right? Buying this cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and thinking the government's not going to get involved. This that's ridiculous. <laughs> Crypto's ridiculous, and uh, and then the price just keeps going up and up. And that, that, you know, seemed like beanie babies to me. I mean, to use an old guy reference, but it just seemed like this hot thing. But then when companies started giving it utility, that's when I got interested and thought, okay, this, this is a real deal. When Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and and Walmart are doing things where they're using crypto for their uh, purchases, like all of a sudden when I saw utility, it got exciting, but I still didn't, didn't really buy it. Um, I I commentated on it, but didn't buy it. And our opinion changed from it's the Wild West, don't do it, to the Wild West, okay. And then we had Kevin Rose, you know, for the Modern Finance Podcast. Mm-hmm. 
and he's a he was the first guest on Tim Ferriss's show, and he's a big crypto guy, and he really changed my mind like a year and a half ago. So talk about late to the party, but a year and a half ago, Kevin said he said, you know, the time to make money on anything, whether it's crypto or whatever, is when there's a ton of volatility. If there's a lot of volatility and it's the wild west, like don't get me wrong, you can lose your ass, but that's also the time because, you know, standard deviation to get a little nerdy works on works in both ways. Mm-hmm. If it can lose a bunch, it can also make a bunch. So take money you can afford to you to lose. Don't take grandma's money who needs the cash today. Right. But if you've got money you can afford to lose, why wouldn't you pick these investments that are you know, risky, but that you believe in? And all of a sudden, my, my whole mindset changed and um but i still didn't buy could just because you know when i'm buying when i'm buying crypto for these huge prices uh it was still just seemed very expensive to me and then and then april of this year i started buying ethereum oh. uh specifically because of the utility in ethereum versus bitcoin yeah. and i've bought more and more as the price went down and actually for the first time since i started buying it my crypto is up i think uh, i think i've made a whopping three and a half percent so far that's guys because i've been buying in bigger increments as it's come down and ethereum and all the cryptos have come up a little bit i'm lately. looking back at the chart right now to see what it was doing in april it's like oh that was right when it broke structure too it looks like it should have been a good time but you're also doing it right though buying it on the way down if it's something that you believe in and want to hold long term like yeah that's how you do it i thought two things happened number one was was the break i mean the price went down huge all at once and i thought you know i don't know if this is the opportunity but you guys already know if you think about timing your moves but don't do that like trying to time your move perfectly is ridiculous so i started buying then i was dollar cost averaging in uh, partly because I, I this is play money and I wanted it to be a playful thing. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't going to make a big bet all at once. Plus it's my first investment in, so I wasn't going to go big that way anyway. The second thing was, I also noticed all the crypto bro pros, and this is not a rip on crypto. This is a rip on people on TikTok and Instagram (laughs) that tell me that they're experts. They were gone, dude. They were gone. Uh-huh. Like all of a sudden, there none of these people that are that are huge experts are in my feet anymore because they've gotten wiped out and made fun of. And that's what I want to invest, right? Yeah. I want to invest when when these these idiots are, you know, no longer uh, crowing at me all day. That's I heard somebody say that. Do you remember who that was, Dan? That said, uh, like when your Uber driver is talking to you about a stock, like that's when you don't want to be t- buying it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Is that> <laughs> I think it might have been George. Yeah, he was also talking about when his uh, his postal service worker came to deliver his mail and was like, "So, what do you think about that GME?" <laughs> <laughs> it reminds it reminds me of the Big Short when the strippers telling them about buying houses, and they're like, "Maybe this is a bubble." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's not, so you've got a background in finance, then. So like, how did you get your like, how did you get interested? How did your market journey start? Oh man, I was so I was a uh, a guy who grew up in the eighties, and actually, I'll tell you exactly where it started. I saw the movie Wall Street when it came out, which will give an idea about how people an idea how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and but I thought this is awesome. Don't get me wrong; I didn't think going to jail, which is the, the lesson at the end of the movie Wall Street, for being yeah. a spoiler <laughs> for people that haven't, uh, haven't of course, <laughs> made the time to watch it in the last forty years. Yes. <laughs> That's how I was going to say. If I'm saying spoiler alert on movies that's 40 years old, I don't think it's on me. I think it's on you, right? That you haven't seen it. That doesn't stop them, though. They still get pissed. I'm mad. I've never seen Wall Street. Now I don't don't get to enjoy it. Thanks. There it is. (laughs) Sorry about that, Dave. Sorry, Dan. But the, you know, uh, uh, I really like this idea, though, of of the fact that the more you knew about these companies, um, and as I dug into stocks for the first time, as a guy that grew up in a family that didn't really ever have a lot of money, it just intrigued me that, you know, stocks were a reflection of the value of the company. Mm-hmm. And I also liked, even though I knew it was insider trading and that was illegal, that, that just the more information you had about the company, better your chance of winning was going to be. So 
I thought that there would be legal ways to leverage these bets, mm -hmm. right? There'd be legal ways to actually look at how a company operates. So I've always been much more of a fundamental guy than a technical guy when it comes to when it comes to buying securities. But I was still a disaster with money at this point. <laughs> I was I was I was so, so bad. I went to school at the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina. Oh, I know those guys. Yeah. And so two two key things to keep in mind. I'm at a military college. I can't have a job. Number two is I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. So these will come up later on in this tale of how bad Joe was <laughs> with money at the, at the beginning. Just a little foreshadowing. So first week of school. I go into the student union, Mark Clark Hall, and there's this line at this table. And I don't remember if they're giving away Frisbees or stadium blankets or whatever the thing is they're giving away, but it is to get your ass into debt, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and I didn't even, you know, an American Express card I could get, which is funny because I ended up being a spokesperson for the financial advisor division of American Express for a number of years. And I thought these guys didn't do their homework <laughs> because, because of the story I'm about to tell you. But, <laughs> So, so I get in this long line. I mean, imagine if people stood in line to gain assets the way we stand in line to get into debt. But I, I stand in this line forever. And then, you know, they have this little uh, application, income, zero, like chance of making any income, zero, right. assets, zero. <laughs> and I turn this thing in. I get whatever my blanket is. And you guys know what happened. Like a month later, I get a credit card. Yeah. And it's awesome. <laughs> And my family was like every American family, which is every time my parents were having a discussion about money, my brother and sister and I were told to leave the room. Right. Like we, that was not for public consumption. So uh, we had to go. So, so I knew nothing about how anything worked. And we get leave this first weekend that I have this brand new green card. This is uh -oh. member since today, <laughs> right? And so we go to the, the mall in North Charleston, me and six other dudes. And uh, we sit down at this very high-end exclusive restaurant. You guys might have heard of it. It's called Ruby Tuesday. Oh, yeah. yes. Just yeah. this oh. amazing. They had a salad bar and everything. That was back when they were high-end. <laughs> That's all so, so <laughs> high-end. So I, uh, I, you know, the bill comes and we've had a great, great uh, time uh, eating and and I just want these guys to be friends of mine. It's it's a you know a bunch of guys getting together for the first time. So I just wave that card in the air and I said, guys, I got it, I got it. And they're like, what do you mean you got it? I'm like, I'm buying, I'm buying. And they're like, of course. Then I become everybody's best friend. By the way, I have I have no idea at this point what I'm doing. Right, like zero. I'm like, no, hey, I got this card. It says I can spend whatever I want because it's American Express and we're good. It's like cash in your pocket. Yeah, it's amazing. What was the interest rate on that first card? Just out of curiosity. You know what's funny? At the time, I think it was I think it was only 18 and a half, which as you know, well, no, I take that back, Kyle. It, it wasn't 18 and a half. Remember, American Express was zero. You had to pay it all off at once. Oh, right. right? right. It was the green card. You pay it off immediately. Right. So, but hey, I'll figure it out. I got an income of nothing. <laughs> so and no money in the bank. I go down to the other end of the mall, and of course, like a like a magnet, I go right to the most expensive store in the mall, Nordstrom, and oh. I see this <laughs> I see this mannequin with this sweater, and it's 1987. So this sweater is Duran Duran awesome. It's like this super purple color with like this paisley thing around the V-neck. I still have it to remind myself of what an idiot I was. <laughs> <laughs> and I buy it. Now, once again, military college, I can't pay this bill. Number two is I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. Like it's cold both days, right? It is, it is so cold for two days there that you might need a sweater. I can't even wear the sweater because I have to wear a uniform. <laughs> so I have to hide it in my drop ceiling oh, wow. in my barracks. Yeah. So anyway, so, you know, this is back before email. And you would go every day back to Mark Clark Hall, the student union, where you had those little, like you're at the post office, you know, and you got those little uh, 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 post office windows mm -hmm. with the little boxes, and it shows you if you've got mail. And I go in there, and you never had mail. And you always hoped every day, maybe I'd get some mail. And today- Yeah, a letter from somebody. Yes. This particular day, I get mail. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I open it up. It's American Express. Oh, my! I love American Express. They are incredible. <laughs> 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 Several money printers. 
Whatever could these friends of mine want? Maybe they're thanking me for taking my friends out to dinner. Increasing your limit. And, uh, of, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Of course, I open it up and you guys know the end of this story. It's my bill. And I'm like, what the hell? I thought we were buddies. <laughs> and uh, 90 days later, the card is gone. Yeah. Right. And I, I work the whole next summer with a collection agency to, to uh, get myself out of credit card debt. And my, you know, my, my credit was crap. So, but even though my credit was horrible, and I made all these dumb moves and I was an English major. I, I knew nothing about money. I just watched the movie Wall Street. A friend of mine, a friend of mine told me in college, uh, calls me as uh, I'm graduating, goes, you know, and this is a direct quote, we don't normally hire people like you, but I think you'd be good at this. And of course, it's for a, it's for a financial advising job, right? Mm -hmm. Because at that time, and there are still obviously companies like this today, but uh, at that time, it was much more sales and much less knowing what the hell you're doing with finances. Right. And I was so attracted to it. And they clearly didn't hire English creative writing majors. But I really, and I didn't know this at the time because I grew up in a really small town, I've always had this engineering mentality. I really, really, if I would have known what an engineer was besides a person that drove a train, <laughs> I probably would have been an engineer. Uh, but I had no idea. So anyway, I go and I love it and I'm rocking as a financial planner. I was a fantastic, I was good at sales. I was good at, at helping people want to achieve their goals, but I was still a disaster with my own money which by the way, should scare the hell out of right. people about the people that you hire. Um, I could tell you all the great things to do. I wasn't doing any, any of them myself. I was absolutely horrible. And I realized one day I ran out of gas after hiding. I, was, I had this rusted out minivan. I had young kids. My wife is, is still in college. And, um, and I run out of gas on the way back from my office. And I borrowed money from every person I know. My credit is still completely shot. I, in fact, had tried to replace that car at one time and a buddy of mine, I came clean with him and I go, dude, my credit is just horrible, but I really need a new car because this minivan ain't going to make it any longer. And he goes, oh man, it's, 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 it's car lots. They give these car loans to everybody. Oh, God. Like, don't even worry about it. Go in, they give them to everybody. Oh no. Kyle, I walked into the car lot. I was the dude that got denied. What? Like, I was, Are you I was, oh my God. <laughs> I was the one guy that the sleazy car salesman goes, oh, I beat you, man. I am better than you. <laughs> oh yes. God. Yeah. You have absolutely nothing left, I think, is what that tells you. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> right. And there is, this is actually the time when I, turn, when I turned it mm -hmm. around because, you know, there's a statistic that I, I really uh, hate that is from a study from this group called um, non, uh, Nonfiction Research, mm -hmm. which is good, way better than fiction research. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what we do here at the shop. Right. Yeah, that's right. We just make 86.5% of the statistics on the... Uh, on, on the uh, the China Shop podcast yeah. are yes. made up on the spot. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. yes, they are. The uh, but this 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 uh, and and I'd encourage everybody to download it. You just put in "Secret Financial Lives of Americans" into any browser, and you'll come up. Uh, with it. And it's this fantastic long report about all these secrets that the average person has. And there's horrible secrets. Like, you know, if you've worked in an office before, you know, these people that um, steal lunches, like there's always lunches being stolen out of the refrigerator. Well, this, this study shows that these people aren't just, you know, jerks or creeps. Well, they might be, but the big thing is they've screwed up their money so much they're starving. And they have to steal your lunch because they can't afford their own. Or they go back behind a fast food uh, you know, place and they're dumpster diving for food. Number of people have done that is alarming. Number of people that say that they trade sex for food oh, wow. was highly disturbing. But the big one was that of 330 million people in the United States, nearly half of us say we cry about our money. And you'd think that's people living paycheck to paycheck, but of people making over $200,000 a year, nearly half of them are crying about mm -hmm. their money. It's less than the people living paycheck to paycheck, but still big. So we are doing what I was doing. You know, I'm teaching other people all this stuff, but I'm not following any of it. I'm not doing any of the things. So I immediately started surrounding myself with better people. I started taking my own advice. I got rid of the shortcuts, which is why I make fun of the crypto mm -hmm. bros now, because they're always offering shortcuts. Yeah. Um, and I built a foundation. And what was cool 
was that building that foundation took far less long than I thought that it would have. I thought, oh my God, it's going to take forever. It's going to suck. Yeah, it sucked for a while. But after, after a little while, you, it became a game. Like, how good can I do? From how bad is this messed up to how good can I do? Right. And once, once I ignored the creditors and everybody else's stuff and started paying attention to my own journey, uh, things got really good. And anyway, at 16 years, it's a whole different story. So I'll shut up here for a minute. <laughs> we, uh, I sold my business uh, because I wanted to do other things. And uh, a few years later, started the podcast with a friend of mine. And 11 years later, I finally made it to two bulls on a money shop <laughs> yeah. in, in a China shop. And this is the highlight of my career. Oh, yeah. that is the nicest thing anyone's ever said to us. Oh, wow. If you're just tuning in, welcome back to Stacking Washingtons. We are learning how to <laughs> increase your debt and get more credit cards. <laughs> Everybody's taking out, taking notes. So, so one of the things that you that you do uh, cover a lot on the show that it seems is um, kind of talking about what it's like on the other side for the financial advisor. So, what are some of like the red flags that you look for when you're like trying to pick somebody out that like you know that to work with? Like, what what are the things that you should look for? What are the things that you should watch out for? Well, because I ended up doing PR for American Express for a number of years later on, <laughs> which is funny. And then for Ameriprise Financial as well. But my job involved going into a lot of different financial advisory offices. And there were so many commonalities between bad advisors that it, it was just laughable. You could walk into these offices and you would know within minutes if you're in a crappy advisor's <laughs> office. So, so the, the first thing is, is that advisors are not oracles, mm -hmm. right? They, they, they don't know the future. And their job, by the way, is to stop you from trying to predict the future. Right. And if you're trading anything at any time, giving away that you don't know the future, I think makes you a more powerful investor, like immediately makes you a much more powerful investor by giving that away mm -hmm. and stop trying to be that person. But anyway, what you know when you first walk into an office is that you don't want that person. So if they're showing if they're showing Jim Cramer or Fox Business or you know CNBC midday trading update whatever it is on the big screen in their office you should run. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. They're absolutely horrible. What you want somebody with like the travel channel or the food network, you know? Someone trying to take your mind off of it, not bring it to the forefront. Yes. Yes. I mean, advisors are there to calm you down and make you realize this is a marathon, not a sprint, mm -hmm. right? And things are going to be okay. And clearly, if you watch Kramer, I'm, I just watch it to wait for his head to explode, you know, at some point he presses that button, sell, sell, bam. Like he's, I'm just waiting for people to arrest him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Talk about dark. Dude, yeah. I mean, you, you've yeah. seen the interview that he did with Jon Stewart back in uh, during the yes. housing collapse. Like how is that? How does he have, still have any credibility at this point? And huge ratings, right? I know. Well, and that shows you. That shows you, Kyle, how much this is entertainment, right? Right, which is what people also need to realize. This is entertainment, much more than education. So, uh, which is which is fine, but he's entertaining you and also teaching you, I think, some stuff that you should ignore. He's the Tim Tool man of of investing. <laughs> this he put the tool. Yeah, there you no. go. Uh, <laughs> the second the second thing, even before you meet with the advisor to know if they really suck, is this. The receptionist, if the receptionist seems bored, disgruntled, doesn't care, doesn't want to care, doesn't is, you know, mean, nasty, whatever it is, if they're anything other than over the top customer service man or woman, mm -hmm. you should also run because financial advisory offices, even if they're, you know, the bigger ones have maybe eight, nine, 10 advisors are still not that big an organization. And I'll tell you, having gotten in a bunch of offices, guys, all that comes from the boss. Uh -huh. If they're disgruntled, it's because their boss treats them like crap. And you know what? I have... Uh, I got to say it's hundred percent correlation between if the receptionist is treated like crap by the boss or doesn't believe in the boss, the boss is also treating their clients like crap. 
That's probably good advice for any industry. I think so. Or anybody that you're, yeah, I'm going to start paying attention to that. And how long, by the way, it's too, and this is, this was like sales 101 when I grew, when I was growing up doing all these bad jobs (laughs) was like, you always see people that, that treat the receptionist like crap. And you're like the receptionist. And, and, and if anybody learns anything out of this interview, I hope they take this. The receptionist holds the keys to everything. They're the first point of contact. They're the first impression. They're usually the ones that control the schedule. <laughs> they can make it your life hell or they can make your life awesome. So treat them like gold and, and great things follow. But the next thing is when you go meet with the advisor, a bad advisor sits behind one of these huge desks and sits at a chair that looks really comfortable. And you know why you know it's comfortable? Because you're sitting in a crappy chair that's not comfortable. Designed to show the power difference. Yes. Make you feel like he's a position of authority. All the best advisors that I have come in contact with work on much more of a King Arthur and Knights of the Round Table, where you sit at literally like a round table or a dining room table or something where you're all on the same place. And don't get me wrong, I want the advisor to have a heart of a teacher. Mm-hmm. Because if an advisor just says, I'm going to do this magic and take it all out of your hands, you don't need that person. Right. Like, you know, a great, my favorite, being a guy from Detroit, I think a good analogy is Mary Barra running General Motors. Now, GM is not a phenomenal company, but my dad was a GM, was a GM guy. And just watching them stay relevant and stay in the game, I think is a testament to what Mary has done. I mean, she's not setting the world on fire, but man, does she continually fight and fight and fight to keep turning that company around. Well, Mary has advisors, they call them VPs, but really they're advisors, right? Somebody that knows the chassis better than she mm-hmm. does, that knows the, the the interior better than she does, knows the engine better than she does. She has all these people that know that stuff. She doesn't walk in once every six months and go, hey, so how's this car thing going? <laughs> like, what are we doing? <laughs> She has to go to all the meetings, all the conferences. She still needs to be an expert on the car. And if your advisor makes you even more of an expert, then that's good. If the advisor's taking it from, like you can't abdicate, right. you have to delegate. And if you're delegating a bunch of stuff that they do better because they they do it more often, like some of the you know background charts and graphs and whatever, that's great. Hire people for that. Hire people to protect your down your 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 you know your weaknesses, your Achilles heel. But if you're if you think you can delegate your financial plan to somebody else, or they try to convince you of that. Well, you need to fire that person or not hire him in the first place. You don't have to know as much as he does, but you need to know enough to where you know when he's talking out his ass. <laughs> yes, exactly. And if it seems really complicated, you know, the guy, the wealthy barber guy, this is another old book that I really like, but he had a great phrase that I really like, which is if you can't describe your financial plan on a cocktail napkin, that your advisor has, you need to fire them. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that the strategy might not have a little complexity in it, but the description of what the hell you're trying to do should fit on a cocktail mm-hmm. napkin. And if it doesn't, then that's not a good plan. What about the, um, the like, do advisors get kickbacks for like certain investment vehicles that they push you into? Because I've noticed with some of them, like they'll just switch it randomly and like decide like, oh, this is now the best investment. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't think that that actually necessarily is the truth. That's so funny you bring that up because there are three different types of advisors. And the ones that get all the street cred right now are called fee-only advisors where they don't do that, Kyle, Mm -hmm. where they charge a set fee. That fee, by the way, and there's a little bit of ambiguity here because that fee can also include a percentage of assets fee if you have them manage money for you, which by the way, often they have a platform. And so if it's outside that platform, strikingly, they're against it. (laughs) (laughs) So, but fee-only advisors are the hot thing right now. And every type of advisor, I kind of don't like the way they're paid. And I can get, I'm going to explain the the three and then I'll tell you what I don't like about all of them. Okay. But first of all, this person that just charges a felt flat fee, you go in, you say, Hey, I want X, Y, Z. They charge you a fee. They do all this work for you. They help you design a financial plan. They explain to you how things work, sit down with you. And then you either walk out or they manage some money for a percentage, which is also a fee that you know. So you see all the fees are above board. It's uh, you can see them. Life is great. There's uh, on the far other side of the continuum, there are commission advisors. And these people, Kyle, are exactly what you're talking about, where you buy a mutual fund and there's a big fat 6% fee uh, latched on, 5 or 6% fee mm-hmm. or 4%, whatever it might be. So you get this huge you know, bite out of your investment that you got to make up immediately. 
or there is no fee upfront, but you're required to keep it for five or six years. It's called a B share where you're buying these funds and, and you got to keep it for a number of years and you have an additional 1% fee tacked on. So there's getting the fee a different way. It's almost like, remember those old Bugs Bunny cartoons where, you know, he's asking the lion uh, with a mallet. He's got this huge <laughs> mallet in his hand and he's asking the lion, where do you want to get hit? Yeah. And he's not asking the lion if he wants to get, he's like, do you want to be hit in the head? You want to be hit in the butt? Like, where do you want to get hit? This is what, if, this is what commission advisors do. They have lots of different ways to hit you, but if they're going to eat dinner, if they're going to feed their family, mm-hmm. you're going to get hit. By the way, you're also only going to get their products. Their job is to sell you their products. So right. directionally, it might be 80% right, 90% right. You know, but it's not, you're, you're going to miss out on, and over long periods of time, you could miss out on tons of money with these exorbitant fees you're paying. Right. And then there's, there's the middle ground, which is kind of problematic as well, which is there are fees uh, upfront. They also have some investments that they can get a commission on, insurance they can get a commission on. You do not have to go through them for any of this stuff. So you can just choose to pay the fee. You can also do commission stuff through them. And it's kind of this gray area where you're not sure where they're, you're, where they're really <laughs> your advisor and where they're a salesperson. Yep. Like they keep taking these two hats and they're moving them back and forth. And so you're kind of playing this, this game of, okay, which one are you now? Are you the salesperson selling me this thing or are you the, 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 the fiduciary? And by the way, fiduciary is a great word that people need to know. If it's one of those a term life insurance, like they're trying to get me into one of those thing, investment vehicles, then I'm out. <laughs> Oh, you mean the whole life insurance policies? Yes. Like, oh, yeah, you just, yeah, it, yeah, it builds yeah. and then you, it turns into a savings plan. Uh, Don't get me started. No, thank you. <laughs> what about the fiduciary? What, is, what exactly is a fiduciary? Fiduciary means, and, and you need to ask this if you're talking to an advisor, this means that contractually in writing, and by the way, I'm going to get back to those two things, contractually in writing, they have to do what they think is in your best interest legally contractually. And the reason I say that is advisors now, Kyle, they know that the word fiduciary, more and more people are learning that word Mm -hmm. and they will look you in the eye and they'll lie to you (laughs) and they'll say, yes, I am. Say it ain't so. Yeah. Let me be clear here. They, you need, you need, 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 need to see it in writing because it is a contract and they have to sign it. You have to sign it. It's a contract where they're going to be a fiduciary. So the second they say, I am, you got to say, can I have it in writing? But let me give you the downsides of each of these. Okay. Because while the, while the fee only advisor is clearly the one that I would hire, I think you got to know that every type of advisor has an Achilles heel. The Achilles heel on the commission side is obvious. And that is you're going to get these huge chunks taken out of you and you're going to get a set product list that they're selling from their menu. Right. And the things you need might not be on that menu. The, 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 the middle ground where it's kind of advisor, kind of commissions, it's this 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 uh, fog where you're not sure what role they're playing that's the problem mm-hmm. the fee only side nobody talks about the downside here and that's this commission only advisors have a much higher implementation rate than fee only advisors people will often go to a fee only advisor they'll pay for it and then they won't implement the plan huh. and it doesn't matter what you know it's what you do and the reason by the way and there's a clear reason if you're meeting with a commission advisor damn, they're going to make sure you implement because they don't eat if you don't implement. A fee-only advisor doesn't really care if you implement because you're writing them a check either way. And if you don't implement, it's up to you. I, If I were you, anybody listening, I would hire the fee-only advisor, but I would also know the implementation rate is much lower. It's going to be a way better plan, but you, it's not what you know. It's what you do. You have to stay on top of them. Yeah, the advisor's not going to be all over you to do anything about it. Well, so now then there's a fourth option, and that's the one that a lot of people seem reluctant to take. That's the path that Dan and I have been uh, on since we started this podcast, and that's doing it yourself. So what are some good resources for somebody that wants to learn how to manage their own money? I always think, by the way, no matter who you are, surrounding yourself with smart people, and they don't have to be an advisor or fiduciary is, uh, is step one, although I like people that know enough to do that. Mm-hmm. But I do, and the reason is, is that there's this false, Kyle, there's this false dichotomy we do in our heads and that people talk about online, which is, well, you don't need advisors because you're smart enough to do this yourself. And that's wrong because of course you're smart. <laughs> this is not rocket science. <laughs> 
Of course you are. The problem is, is that my wife has heard my BS for the 28 years we've been married, right? Mm -hmm. We have an advisor partly because believability and making sure it gets done. Our advisor makes sure it gets done. Uh The second reason we have an advisor is because I still have my favorite things. I have my little quirks and my little hangups and my advisor fights with me. I, I love having Gordon Ramsay people in my corner that go, Joe, you're full of crap. Right. Like you are so full of crap right now. So, and by the way, it doesn't have to be an advisor. Just surround yourself with smart people that challenge you, I think for, for the win. So first, first resource is find those people and schedule like a breakfast once a month, you know, or once a quarter where you guys all get together and you're pretty honest with your money together and you challenge each other. I love the masterminding idea. And then, of course, you know, podcasts, books, uh, uh, YouTube videos. There's so much information out there. And like you guys were talking about, about scouring the internet for a uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get, <laughs> sometimes you got to search, but, but find the people that speak to you and, um, and learn from them. And challenge them too. Don't just believe it as, yep. because it's on the air. <laughs> we're, we're normal people. We <laughs> just because we say something doesn't mean it's true. Well, you might be stretching the word normal, Kyle, but well, no. okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> there is no normal these days. I, I, I think you can actually get in trouble for saying that. Yeah. 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 So what about uh, good resources then as far as uh, like just learning more about personal finance or, or managing money or, or any other? Oh, I see yeah, where you're going with you this. Go. <laughs> I see where you're going. I am the dumbest guy on this show by far. Oh, <laughs> Guess what, Kyle? I have a book. You do. (laughs) (laughs) I know. know, It's so weird. It's like Kyle Kyle tosses me the softball. I deflect it. So then he beans me with it. And I still don't know where he's going. Yes. Still not taking your base. (laughs) Pitch it again. No, we're not fighting on the mound. I have a new book called Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management that is, uh, it's the Hardy Boys Detective Manual meets the Cub Scout Wolf Guide. Oh, you're speaking my language. Yeah. When I was in fourth grade, I carried around the Hardy Boys Detective Manual because of the fact- Oh, I had that. Yes. It's incredible. You open this thing up and on the front, I remember my brother, Tony and I, and we opened it up and right in the front, it said that this was written with the help of a real live FBI agent. I remember turning to my little brother and I go, this is legit. Like we could be secret. We, we could be detectives. Like this is so awesome. Yeah. I remember spying on my neighbors with my periscope with that book, uh, learning how to tail people. I thought you were going to say spy my neighbors last week no. with a <laughs> tele- no, 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 binoculars now. <laughs> yeah, he's getting into the spicy food again. It's going to be a rough night for him. <laughs> a little, little sketchy there, but uh, yeah. So uh, I wanted to be. I wanted people to carry it around lovingly, the way I carried around that book in fourth grade. Like to your point with uh, spying on your neighbors. Every time my mom touched a door handle, we went over there with the tape. So <laughs> Take her fingerprints. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't know where mom's been. She okay, okay, she hasn't been replaced by a doppelganger. We're still safe. <laughs> That's right. Mom mom is off the list of the perps. You're lucky you're not like me, and my mom's a twin. That could have <laughs> really oh, my yeah. reality. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, uh oh, fingerprints are changed. But then so I had this idea, but I didn't have the you know, I didn't have the layout. And my mom, when I turned fifty, finally gave me all that crap out of her attic, the stuff you just don't trust people mm-hmm. with until they're fifty, like the little league photos, the sixth place father son bowling trophy from when I was like twelve. Um, all of these all these <laughs> things. I'm like, why why are you finally giving these to me now? But in that in that that stack of stuff was my Cub Scout Wolf guy. And what was cool is, and you guys already know this, if you turn it into a game, Mm -hmm. you lower the temperature, you make it so it's goal-based and much more fun. And if you mess it up, you just try again. And so many of us get so, we get so uptight and we think that, you know, this is the move and rarely is it irrevocable. Most of the time, make the mistake. So, and I love it, the, 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 the achievements at the beginning you know, they succinctly tell you what you're going to need. They tell you how to do it. At the bottom, there's a checklist of things you got to do to get the achievement. Because once again, it's not about what you know, it's about what you actually do. Mm-hmm. You check those boxes and then you got your achievement. And it's a, so 
that's what we do in Stacked is that we have succinctly, and ours might be a little bit a BS about the things you're going to need, <laughs> the tools you're going to need. And then we do succinctly then tell you how to get the thing done. And then we have a bunch of boxes to check. And at the bottom, there's a place for your mom to sign it and you can get the achievement. And at the end, if you do all the achievements, we have a, a page that you can rip out suitable for framing that your mom can put on the refrigerator that you- Oh, that's awesome. I love that concept. Finish them all. So. <laughs> Yeah. So that is, that is stacked. It's part, you know, the ridiculousness that we have on the Stacking Benjamins podcast, but I think really good advice at the foundational stuff at the beginning and the tough, really crunchy stuff is it's also end. giving yourself a way to be accountable to it too. Absolutely. It, I know it sounds silly, but having your mom sign your, your achievements like that, <laughs> that gives you a, that step of accountability and it makes you more likely to follow through. It's, you know, and mom, I don't know about your mom. My mom's a taskmaster. Like once you tell her you're doing this, she's like, Hey, uh, have you finished the third achievement? What are you doing? Right. <laughs> oh, man. You mentioned too, uh, like reluctance to start things. And I think you kind of mentioned that when you talked about starting the podcast. And I think a lot of people kind of feel that same reluctance when it's time to start wor- like working on your finances too. Like, what do you think that is? Like, you almost just have to like realize that you're just going to be bad at it at the beginning and just accept that and then go into it knowing that you're going to learn and it's going to be better next time. I think it's partly that we put so much pressure on ourselves because money's so important mm-hmm. and we we feel like we feel like we're going to mess it up and then the second thing is it feels complicated, right? Like I talked about with the podcast, it feels complicated. How do I get this to people you know, how do I oh, a Roth IRA? Oh my, how many forms is that going to take? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's one. Right? It's the one, but we think in our head we build it all up and then we think I'll deal with it tomorrow. And then I'll deal with it tomorrow and I'll deal with it tomorrow. And so, and, and we also don't, we also think it's discipline. And I think discipline, discipline is way, way overrated. Mm -hmm. Like if people know how lazy you can be and be good at money, I think more people be phenomenal at, at, at money. Right. Uh, How much do you think it is with the, like you mentioned the, the having to leave the room when your parents ever talked about money, like how much do you think of that is carryover from your upbringing? And do you do anything different with your kids? Uh, I think we're all paranoid. I think we're totally paranoid that we don't know anything about money and everybody around us does. And what's cool, you know, my 16 years working with families is I got to tell you, nobody knows. Like everybody's everybody's asking the same questions. And once they hire an advisor and they can tell these questions in private, everybody's asking the same questions. And some of them are, some of them are horrible questions. Like the question I was hated was, uh, how do I compare to everybody else? Uh. And the answer is, who cares? Right. It does not matter. The big thing is you have never saved and you're not going to uh, reach retirement because of that. So we just got to get this thing moving. So it's much more a game to play against you and the milestones you need to reach to get where you want to go. That's the good question. What were some of the surprising ones that you got? Yeah, well, that's the, that's the main surprising one. Then the second thing is, is people that always want to get in the weeds about all the stuff. So there's, you know, Stephen Covey has these great, this great thing in seven habits. He's got lots of great things in seven habits of highly effective people, which I'd recommend everybody read. But he's got things you can control, things you can influence, and things you can no longer that you can't control or influence. And so people would walk into my office and they always want to talk about the market. We can't do anything about the market. We can only do what we can do. Mm -hmm. The market is going to do what the market does. You can put your hundred dollars into the market every month and it's not going to move. Right. <laughs> it's not going not to change it. So we can increase the hundred to 500. We can increase 500 to a thousand. We can increase the amount of money you make. We can do your budget better. Can't control the market. Second thing, politics. A number of people want to talk politics in my meeting. Once again, go vote, be an American, work, work the political thing. But when it comes to managing your money, just deal with the fault. Like once something becomes law, then let's start talking about what you do with it. So in this, in this latest bill that as we record, this is uh, about to become law. In fact, everybody thinks it's going to become law. There's a bunch of energy credits that are back on the table. Yep. So if, if somebody's looking at making home improvements, you might want to see if you can get some of this money, right? So dealing with it after it's a law versus spending time in your financial planner's office for half an hour bitching about Democrats or Republicans. <laughs> 
you know, it just, just deal with the stuff that you can control. And, and people wanted to do that all the time, all the time. The, the stuff that Covey calls pot three, we can't control it. We can't influence it. Let's just deal with pot one. Um, and, you know, don't get me wrong, still vote, still have your opinions. But when you're working on your money, spend it on stuff that you can control. And, 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 and look, let me give you one of these. This seems like a little thing. Mm-hmm. Like if we can, if we can find a way, let's just take like your cell phone bill or no, I'll do one even better. Cause this is something I'm not doing that I need to do that my cousin does. So my cousin, high school football coach in Indiana, he does this cool thing where instead of doing what I do. So I, you know, cut, like every good American, I cut the cable cord a long time mm-hmm. ago because direct TV was just killing me. Yeah. But I replaced it with Netflix, a $40, the best Hulu subscription. So I get all the Hulu stuff. Uh, uh, Apple TV, Disney Plus, I have now. Um, Amazon, right? Yep. I've replaced it with all of these things. To add up to more. Which is re- <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. So here's what my cousin does. About once a quarter, I get a text from Randy and it says, hey, what are the best three shows that you've watched recently on Netflix? And I know what he's doing because he's asking everybody this. Mm-hmm. So what he does, he cancels the one that he has before, HBO Max or whatever it might be. He cancels that one and he gets Netflix and he just binges Netflix for that for that quarter. And he does all the good shows on Netflix. And then I get a text from him that goes, hey, what's the best stuff you've watched on Disney Plus? Mm. And he gets that list. And then he and then he does all those. Like, we don't have unlimited time. Right. And, and we're going to watch them all sooner or later anyway. So Randy ends up watching all the cool shows in the course of a year. But he's paying for one subscription where I'm paying, I think, for 787 yeah. subscriptions. Brilliant. But when he does that, this is the key. So doing that is great. That may save him 150, let's say it's 150. No, we'll call it $200 a month. Let's say he saves. You know what? Let's even lower that. Let's make it $100 mm-hmm. a month to make it, to, to, to prove my point more. You take $100 a month. That's cool. You know what we do with that money, guys? We high five each other and we go, hey, guess what? I saved $100 a month. And then I go out to eat more often and the money just disappears someplace else. Gotta, you got to afford those Ruby Tuesday bills. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> hey, that hit close to home. But just <laughs> I'm more of a Red Lobster guy, personally. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's fantastic. Have you ever had the ultimate, uh, what is that, the ultimate feast? Oh, yes, Ult- I, I think yes. I have. Is that the one, is that the fried one, or is that the one that has the, uh, the crab legs and lobster and... Crab legs, lobster, like everything. Don't buy lobster or crab legs at when I go out oh. because I can make it cheaper and better at home. Oh, I got to come to your house. I, don't, I do I the same do thing that. with steaks. I don't ever buy a steak because I'd never do it right. Going to Kyle's house when he's got the grill going is like going to a giant buffet of just the finest foods. It's overwhelming. Well, there's nary a vegetable inside either, though. That's the my wife's big complaint. <laughs> so yeah, there'll be plenty of meat to eat. But you better not. Right. You better not want anything else. <laughs> and you, you might be slightly stuffed up if you know what yeah, I mean. The next yeah. 24 hours as well. Yeah. Yes. But <laughs> it's going to be one way or the other. <laughs> so, uh, but now we've captured. So the deal is, we've saved the money, but we haven't really saved anything until we capture that. But the mm-hmm. cool thing about capturing it and automating it. So I take the hundred dollars I saved and now I, I put that money. So it automatically goes into one of my funds. It makes one of my contributions. Well, it seems like a hundred bucks and everybody's like, Oh, it's a hundred bucks, but that's $1,200 in a year. That ends up, that ends up being mm-hmm. $12,000 in a decade. $12,000 is for really kick-ass vacations that you weren't taking over a decade that you are now adding to your regular vacation schedule. Like you just bought yourself four awesome vacations by just cutting out this ridiculous subscription thing that I do myself. Mm -hmm. So taking this little tiny thing, this automation, and instead of having discipline, just having discipline for two minutes to capture that hundred bucks and have it automatically leave your paycheck or your checking account every month to capture it can make this huge difference over the course of your life. Uh, that's such a great, easy one to do too. Because how often do you go through your Netflix and like, ah, oh, there's nothing good on. And then you just flip over the next one. Like, oh, okay, let's see what's on HBO Max. Maybe they got something. <laughs> but to, but, but <laughs> to your point, Kyle, you know how long I've been talking about what a genius my cousin is and I've done nothing? Uh, uh, probably at least a year. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there it is. There's twelve hundred dollars that I've flushed down the toilet. So Right. <laughs> so what do you do with that money when uh, when you do have it? Do you just stick it in a bank? Uh, uh, when you, well, you know what's funny is is that uh, chapter one actually my book not to point too much at my book but the but is all about this which is you do better with your money and with your investing and I don't you guys sing off this song sheet is when you know what the timeline is right you know mm -hmm. when you're going to need the dollar so if I don't need the dollar for ten years then certainly I'm going to put it in something that beats the pants off of inflation right mm -hmm. which historically is equities and real estate stocks and real estate have done it consistently over longer periods of time if I think I need it in a year or two years. Well, I don't want to take any of that risk. So I find a high yield savings account that will get beaten by inflation, but not by, you know, not, not uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you're not risking the fact that this market might go down further. Like who knows what it's, mm -hmm. what it's going to do. So I think rather than playing the guess what the market is going to do game, look at historically what the market's done and choose investments that fit that time frame. I think is, is your best strategy when you pick where you put it. And, and by the way, when you do that, the cool thing is I think a lot of people suffer from the, from FOMO, right? They, and, and, oh, yes. they, and this happened with crypto. It happens with real estate. It happens with these hot investments. People are like, oh, this is a great investment. Well, once I know my time frame for my investment, I no longer have to worry about every investment. I just have this one filter at the top of my funnel, which is, does it match my time frame? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't match my time frame, it can be a great investment now and I can let it go. I can go, you know what? It's This sounds great, Kyle. Not for me. So, you know, fantastic investment, but just doesn't meet what I'm trying to do. And it gets rid of that. And the other well, thing it does. That sucks, Dan, because it sounds like he doesn't want to buy us. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. That's right. We tried. <laughs> it also narrows your focus, right? Instead yeah. of focusing on every investment that's out there, now you hone in on only investments that meet my objective. And now all of a sudden, all this extra stuff, because most people you know, are an inch deep and a mile wide, and you don't want to do that. You want to be able to get to know the types of investments that meet your goal with some depth. And so to do that, I think you have to start off with the time frame. So the first question to ask yourself is, when am I going to need this money? Dan, you got anything to, to ask? Uh, how do how do I get rich <laughs> <laughs> quickly? Yeah, Not slowly. I, I don't. I don't want to wait a long time. I, I've got two weeks. Yes, five hundred dollars. How do I do it? So, Dan, you're in luck because. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> I actually have a chapter at the end of my book, which is called, and, I, and I'll just tell you what's in it here. Um, it's, it's called how to get rich quicker. Write a book. Gotcha. No, yeah, that's right. That's right. Sell crypto courses on the uh, internet. Brilliant. It, uh, yeah. There is a way and certified financial planners won't tell you this. Um, and when I was an advisor, I certainly would have told you this, but there's two reasons. Number one is I often don't think it's worth the risk, but number two is you will fire me if it doesn't work. Mm. And like everybody, I needed to keep my family fed. So a certified financial planner will never tell you what I'm about to tell you, which is this. The key to getting there, getting rich slowly, the responsible way is to diversify more. The more you diversify, the more you attach yourself to indexes, the more you give away the fact that you're some snowflake that is better than everybody else and can beat these markets. The more you give that away, the more reliable it is going to be over long periods of time that you make money. However, if you want to get rich quicker, you have to under diversify. Like as an example, you take some of these, you know, dimensional funds with all of these Nobel Prize winning people and they have this long history of beating the S&P. And what they do is their philosophy is I don't know who the winners are going to be in the S&P, but it's fairly easy to see who the losers are going to be, right? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So what they do is they just trim and over short periods of time they beat the S&P by a little bit in almost every quarter, but over long periods of time as you guys know that delta between what everybody else does in the index and what they do are these huge numbers, these monster numbers. So knowing what the loser, but, but what are they doing at its core? They're under diversifying to win. Mm -hmm. And so the more that you stop investing and start betting and you're not wrong, the more you add volatility to your portfolio. But once again, you're not wrong. You will win much, much, much faster. Mm. So go from 500 investments to 20, you'll get rich faster or you'll get 
you'll get poor faster. Like one, <laughs> one, one of the two, which, which by the way, if we look at the bajillion pound gorilla in our space, in the personal finance space, it's Dave Ramsey. Mm. And so Dave Ramsey uh, is a guy for people that don't know who went broke and he went broke buying real estate. He bought a few real estate properties and he went under uh, uh, with real estate and debt kind of caused that. So now he's like the anti-debt guy. Right. Don't go into debt. Don't make those mistakes. And he tells people diversify, build a, you know, he's got his baby step program. Dave Ramsey teaches people how to be efficient with money. He did, he's, Amazingly wealthy, incredibly wealthy. He did not get wealthy following his own advice. No. He, he, he got wealthy because he owns one company and it did really, really well. So he took a bet on one thing himself, his company. He did great at it. And he made a lot of money. He also lost money very quickly because he owned just a few rental properties, not a REIT, which will own tons and tons of rental properties, a real estate investment trust, mm-hmm. but just a very, you know, a few properties. They did horribly and he went bust. So Dave Ramsey's a great person on both sides of this. That if you can under diversify, increase the standard deviation in your portfolio and make sure that you leverage bets that you're much more likely to win, you will get rich quicker. And risk management, I think was the last key I'd add to that. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Mitigate your downside. Yes. What do you Agreed. think, Dan? Think that'll work? I, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to write these notes furiously. Uh, yeah, I think I'm on board. I thought I heard your TD Ameritrade ding. I was assuming <laughs> you went all in on Tesla or something. You, you, right. <laughs> And not even, not even Tesla. I mean, don't do Tesla. You're doing Tesla options. You know, I mean, right, that's yeah. zero data expire. <laughs> I found a stock that was only a penny a share, and I figured it can only go up. Right. So much easier to double your money when it goes from one to two than yeah, from two to exactly. four. Joe, this has been uh, uh, one hell of a uh, interview, man. Thank you so much for finding us and stopping by, reaching out to us, and this yes. has been fantastic. Guys, it was so fun. Um, when I saw you guys, I'm like, really? Really? Ridiculousness? I got to be a part of this. <laughs> well, hopefully we don't step too much on your shoes because we try to focus more on, on learning how to trade. We, I, I got to tell you, you don't step on my shoes at all. And for okay. anybody out there, by the way, thinking about starting a podcast, you know, you can put, you know, for people out there and for the three of us, I just, I look at, because I get this question as a guy who's been doing this for a long time, like, isn't it saturated? Aren't there like too many finance podcasts? If Dave Ramsey is the person with the biggest one and by yeah. you know looking at the charts he is, he's got between a million and two million people. You take his show, you take your show, you take my show, you take uh, you know the whole Bigger Pockets network of real estate and their money show. You take uh, Farnoosh Tarabi, Gene Chatsky, Jill Schlesinger. You t- Benzinga Options, the TD Ameritrade. Yeah. Take all the shows, take all the shows, put them together. I'll bet. I'll bet of 330 million people, there's probably 25 million people listening to finance podcast. Mm-hmm. In other words, nobody is listening and we just need more voices. And what I love about what you guys do is that you make it fun. And I, I just think, I think, and don't get me wrong, there's so many great people that, uh, that are very serious about this and do a great job. But I don't think because of that stat about people crying about their money, there's enough entry points and people right. making it seem like this is, this is easy and it's fun and let's just wait in because the water's warm and that's why I love what you guys do. Oh, thank you so much. Wow. I feel all warm and fuzzy inside now. Right? Yeah. Oh. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Can we top that? No. Buy, buy Joe's book, please. Yeah, he, he definitely deserves the support. <laughs> He's going to say nice things like that about us. Then, then we need to we need to sell this thing out. We need to get him to stop crying about money. So buy his book, please. <laughs> that, that too. <laughs> uh, one last time, Joe. Where can everybody find you? Yes, I'm at the uh, Stacking Benjamin Show every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The uh, <laughs> the greatest money show on earth, and once again because it's a circus. So. Be, be- <laughs> Be prepared for not Dave Ramsey when you listen to Stacking Benjamin. I enjoyed it. I was listening. And where can they find your book? Yeah, wherever books are sold. The cool thing is our book is published and edited by the same people that did James Clear's book, um, uh, Atomic Habits. If you guys know Atomic Habits, we have the same editor and it was Mm. the same process. It was really cool. And uh, what's fun, and by the way, it's fun to brag about that to kind of name drop, but uh, until you're in (laughs) on the meetings, if you're in on the meetings with these people and then you become like the little brother that can't do anything good right compared to james clear <laughs> right 
they're like, oh, James, James is so great. Why don't you just write it like he did? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just make this uh, the world's biggest bestseller of all time. And yeah. 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 It's easy. So, he did it. <laughs> yes. So where, where, wherever books are sold, and by the way, if you if you listen to it, and I know a lot of a lot of our fans like listening to their stuff. They're used to listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. So if if they want to listen to it, the audiobook is different than most audiobooks because while in r- written form, at the end of every chapter, we have snippets of interviews I've done with experts and all these different achievements, these different areas that we did on the show. Like they're written out, they're transcribed. Um, you'll actually hear the interviews. And it kind of mixes oh, nice. up the audiobook in a nice way. So you'll hear the actual uh, part of the Stacking Benjamin show in the audiobook. That's awesome. So it's almost like a best of compilation. Yeah. Yeah. It truly is. Oh, that's brilliant. Dan, are you taking notes still? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Uh-huh. You on any of the social medias? I am. Yeah. If I, uh, say hello to me. Average Joe Money on Twitter, Instagram. We do an Instagram live every Wednesday, which is fun to just hang out with. We call them stackers. Uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, uh, wherever you are. Uh, we're there almost every week. And I also, during that, I talk to a lot of fintech people. We'll have fintech founders on a lot talking about what some of the cool new things are to play with on your phone, you know, to do better with money because mm-hmm. I love the gamification. So you'll find that. And uh, yeah, we have a Facebook page, but who cares? Nobody does Facebook anymore. I know. Forget Horrible. Zuckerberg. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so we should say don't do Instagram either, but I don't, Instagram's so much happier. I, I can't figure it out. <laughs> Dan's our Instagram expert. Oh, yeah. expert? Yeah, I, that's that's generous. I can barely handle Twitter. <laughs> well, it is funny. My Twitter feed is so not nice. It just it's people complaining at each other, almost as bad as Facebook. So Instagram's like my happy place, and I've, I'm I'm starting to uh, you know do TikTok, but who knows? TikTok yeah. is just well beyond me. Yeah, it's a whole different world. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll make sure we have links for all that stuff in the episode description. So if you missed it, uh, just scroll down. You'll be able to find all that down there. Uh, Dan, you want to take us home? Well, folks, thanks for sticking around to the end. We hope you had a good time. We sure did. Thank you, Joe, for joining us. Uh, check out Stack and Benjamins and check out his book. Uh, but unfortunately, we do have to close up the shop. We can't stay open twenty four seven. We'll be coming back at you soon with another great episode. But until then. Happy trades. Bye, everybody. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.